It's great to be back here and to see so many familiar faces. Uh, I'll just talk while I'm putting this together. Uh, we've only been away five years, and uh, I mean, the, my hair's changed colour, but that's not to do with age at all, that's to do with the sunshine up there in Brisbane. <laughs> Uh, it's great to be back. I'm retired. I'm kind of officially retired from full-time ministry. We've got a pretty full schedule for the next few years, but we're, we're back on Mount Nelson, and um, we're looking forward to catching up with our grandchildren. Uh, Ruth would have been here this morning, but she, she's fed up with listening to me preach. <laughs> and uh, we're back at St. John's, and there's a congregational lunch today, and she's helping out with that, and uh, but I'm sure there'll be a chance for us to come here again and, and, and greet long-lost friends. No, not lost friends, found friends. Uh, but it's, it's lovely to be here. And um, just doing a one-off talk, it's difficult to decide what to do. So I just want to preach a simple gospel sermon uh, from the passage that was read to us, Romans chapter 3. Uh, it was interesting, you, know, you mentioned John Smith. John Smith, when he came back from the States, uh, had a lot to do with the Vision 100 movement. He uh, he was going to come and, and permanently work with us for a time, and he, he came over for a few months and, and worked with the leaders and uh, did some training with the leaders. And, and during that time, I remember uh, John and, and myself, we went to Gagebrook to the, uh, the school out there, uh, the secondary school out there, and uh, to do some evangelistic uh, work. And uh, I don't know if it's still the case, but back then you had to sign in. Uh, every visitor had to sign in, and we, we had to sign in. Uh, and they asked us for our names, John Smith and David Jones, and uh, they looked at us with great suspicion. <laughs> but I must say, it's, it is a, a huge loss. John Smith was a great, uh, one, of, one of the greats, really, in the ev evangelistic scene in, in Australia, and he, he'll be sorely missed. So let's look at this passage, if you've got it open in front of you. It's just one sentence in the Greek. It's a long sentence, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Uh, in the movie, Chariots of Fire, you may remember if you've seen that movie, uh, Harold, I'll just throw this down here if that's okay, it's just annoying me, distracting me. <laughs> uh, Harold Abrams, who was the, um, the other runner in that race with Eric Liddell, he, he famously says, in the movie, whether he said it in real life or not, I don't know, but in the movie he says, and now in one hour's time I will be out there again, I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? See what he's saying? I want to know that my life counts for something, that I'm justified in, in being here. I want to know that I'm a person worthy to be known. And, and the cheering of the crowd and the gold medal is his justification. It makes him feel validated. It makes him feel that his life has been worth living. What about you? What, what do you look to for your validation? Where do you find your sense of uh, worth? Some people go to Facebook, don't they? They look to Facebook for validation, and if they get enough likes on Facebook, well, that really makes their day. If they don't, well, they're devastated. Where, where do you go 
for your sense of, of worth and, and acceptance. Everyone feels a need to do something that justifies their existence. We all want to feel worthy, to be affirmed by others, to feel that our achievements really matter. We all want to be validated. That's the buzzword. The Bible word is justified. In the end, I want to know that I did okay, that I justified my existence. In the end, I want to know, what will others, what will others say about me? Yes, but what will God say about me? Will he say that I did okay? And how can I be sure of that? Well, let's look at this, this sentence. Leon Morris calls this possibly the most important sentence ever written. It's just one long sentence. Uh, and <coughs> undoubtedly, <coughs> if, you're, if you're not yet a Christian and you're not sure what it means to be a Christian, these are probably the most important words that you will ever hear. Let me just read them to you again. But now, apart from the law, if you've been trying to keep the law, if you're trying to be, if you've been trying to put yourself right with God, well, this is good news for you. Because there's a way to be right with God apart from the law. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known, in, to which the law and the prophets testify. This isn't some new idea that suddenly cropped up. It's there right from the beginning of the Bible right through to the end. There is a way to be right with God, which is not by keeping the law. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all, that is, all who believe, are justified freely by his grace. That is wonderful news. I just want to unpack this sentence for you very simply this morning. Uh, the first thing we want to see here is this, that we are justified freely by grace. What does that mean? We are justified freely by grace. Picture the scene. It's a court of law. Uh, that's where we are in the first three chapters of Romans. God is the judge, the universal judge, the judge of the whole earth, and, we, and human beings, you and I, we stand in the dock. And our condemnation is entirely deserved. That's what Paul's arguing in the first three chapters of Romans. Our pleas of ignorance are inexcusable, chapter 1. Our comparisons with others are impermissible, chapter 2. Our religious credentials are unacceptable, chapter 3. And the conclusion is unavoidable. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no way that God could possibly validate us. No way that he can justify us. No way that he can say that we're okay when we're not okay. Not without compromising himself. But the gavel comes down. And guess what? God has found the way. And the verdict is announced. Not guilty. I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. 
But it's much more than that, because, you know, justified doesn't just mean not guilty. It, it means positively righteous in God's sight. In fact, the, the word justif, just, uh, justify and, and righteous, righteous and justified, it's the same word in the Greek. They're not two different words. We translate them differently, but they're the same word. And so what Paul is saying is, here is this. It's amazing. He says, we are righteousified, if that's a word. It probably isn't. We are righteous. We are justified. We are righteousified freely by grace. Oh, about 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago now, uh, Ruth and I were driving up to Cairns in... Um, in Queensland, up along the Bruce Highway, just on our way into Cairns, and we almost, that was almost the end of our existence here in this world. We were involved in, a, in a, what turned out to be a fatal accident there, and uh, it's an accident black spot. There are lots of really serious accidents that happen there. Uh, we were just driving along in a stream of traffic, going at a, about 100k, I suppose, and stream of traffic coming the other way, and then suddenly uh, a car just veered across the road and came straight towards us. Uh, but I was able to just instinctively to just go like that, <laughs> uh, and ah, I, I, I just there's angelic intervention there. I think <laughs> there's the providence of God because there just happened to be a driveway where I did that. Uh, a few seconds later, there would have been a ditch, uh, and so we and, and so the car just 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 touched the paintwork on our hire car. We could, we could rub it off afterwards and went plowing into the car behind. And three people in that car were killed. Um, it was a horrendous accident. And uh, to this day, we're not quite sure what really happened because the lady driving the car uh, was brain damaged. She couldn't eventually go to court. We don't know. She had some children in the back of the car. We really don't know what happened. And we were never called to, to give evidence or anything. But imagine that was you. I imagine that... Um, You're, you appear in court, uh, charged with causing death by dangerous driving. And people have been killed and severely injured in this, this accident. What are you going to do? What do you want? Do you want justice? Well, if, if, you, if you want justice, you'll, you'll certainly lose your license. You'll probably end up in prison. You say, well, I'll plead for mercy, because there were extenuating circumstances. I'm not quite sure what they were, but maybe the children distracted her. Perhaps the, the sun was in her eyes. Perhaps she had fallen asleep momentarily. There are extenuating circumstances, so I'll, I'll plead for mercy. Well, you, you might actually get a suspended sentence, perhaps. You might have a huge fine to pay. You may have to do some community service. See, justice is getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. And grace, what's grace? Grace is getting what I don't deserve. So just imagine this. You see, imagine you're declared driver of the year. And you've, you're, you're given a brand new BMW. And uh, a tank full of petrol for the rest of the, for the next 12 months. You say, that's scandalous. That's shocking, isn't it? 
It, it, it's worse than shocking. It is offensive if that were to happen, isn't it? Yes, it is. And if you are not offended by grace, if you are not shocked by grace, if you still sing Amazing Grace but you're not amazed by it, then you haven't understood what it is. Because that's exactly what grace is. Justice demands that I get punished. Mercy lets me off. I'm still alive. I've still got room to repent. The sun still shines on the just and the unjust. God still causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I'm in his world, but I, 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 I'm not getting what I deserve. He's being merciful to me. He's being kind to me. He's giving me space to repentance. Justice demands that I be punished. Mercy lets me off, but grace, what does grace do? It brings me in. It brings me into his favor. It brings me into his family. I deserve hell, but I get heaven. I deserve nothing, and I get everything. Now, how is that possible? How can God do that? How can God be right and call wrong people right? Wouldn't he have to be wrong to do that? I mean, he could call wrong people wrong and be right. And if he could find any, he could call right people right and be right. But how can he call wrong people right and still be right? That's wrong, right? <laughs> Did I get that right? It's right to call wrong people wrong, but how can it be right to call wrong people right? That's the question. How can God do that without compromising his character? How can God say that I'm right when I know that I'm wrong? How can the judge of all the earth pronounce me innocent when I know that I'm guilty? Well, look at these words again. Look what it says. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the second thing we need to grasp here if we're to be right with God. It doesn't come cheap. There is a price to pay. There is a cost involved in this. Uh, for 12 years, we lived in central London. I was a pastor there in central London. Loved it. One of my favorite things when we lived in London was to go to Waterloo Bridge at night. If you've never been to London, that's something to do because uh, that's where the River Thames, that's where it bends around. And you looked in one direction, you see the, you see the uh, uh, White, uh, Whitehall, you see the Houses of Parliament on the skyline. You look in the other direction, you see St. Paul's Cathedral, you see Tower Bridge, uh, and, and the city, and the lights of the city, the city of London. I just love, I love cities. Ruth doesn't like cities, that's why we're no longer in Brisbane, and we're back in Hobart. Not that Hobart isn't a city, but um, <laughs> for her it's the perfect city. <laughs> Got views of the mountain and views of the river and greenery. And... Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> it's just as well she's not here. Um, but I, just, I think cities uh, have a personality. They, they, each skyline is, is, is unique. Uh, and and you, can, you can recognize, can't you, when you see the skyline of a city, what, what, what city you're thinking about. And the London skyline is, is quite unique. 
uh, across the London skyline. There, there's a terrific view, for example, of the, or there used to be, uh, of the Old Bailey. And the Old Bailey is the home of British justice. And on the top of that building, um, there's a magnificent golden statue of the Roman goddess of justice. She's blindfolded, so she's unable uh, to show partiality. Uh, she holds a sword in one hand and scales in the other. And the message is clear. If we are found guilty in that court of law, in the Old Bailey, if we are found guilty, then the sword of wrath, the sword of justice, must fall. But then just across the skyline in the city, on the top of St. Paul's Cathedral, there is another golden symbol. It's a cross. And it's a powerful reminder to us this morning that the sword of God's wrath, the sword of God's anger against sin, the sword of God's justice has fallen on Jesus. So that's why we read from Genesis chapter 3. Remember, as Adam and Eve are banished from the garden and they go east of Eden, remember what we're told there in, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, that God places there, uh, as they go out of Eden, as they're banished from Eden, he, he, he places there at the east of Eden uh, cherubim with a flaming sword that turns in every direction. And the message is quite clear. There is no way back into paradise. You won't get in, back into paradise by eating vegetables. You won't get into, back into paradise uh, by, by doing your best and being good. You, there's no way for any... The, the sword turns in every direction. Whichever path you're going to try to get back into God's favor, there's no way that you can get back. That's what that flaming sword is saying. God is angry with sinners every day. And there's no way back for us into paradise, into a relationship with this, this holy God. The only way back is for that sword to fall. Remember what the prophet Zechariah says. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Isn't that what's happened? Isn't that what the cross is all about? The shepherd becomes a sheep. <laughs> and the sword of God's wrath falls on him. That's what redemption means. It's the payment of a price to set us free. In the ancient world, sometimes, um, as a last resort, people had to sell themselves into slavery uh, to pay their debts. Bankruptcy wasn't an option. And if that happened to a Jew... Uh, members of his family were obliged to, to raise enough money to redeem him from slavery and to buy him back as soon as possible. Uh, in Ann Street in, in Brisbane, we have, uh, it's been a great five years, and we've got a, a really uh, multi-generational, multi-national, multicultural con three congregations there. And uh, there are people from every part of the world, every Sunday, that gather there at Ann Street in Brisbane. And there are, there are quite a number of people in our congregations there in, in Brisbane who um, are working two or three jobs to earn enough money to send back home to get their families out of the refugee camps. They've got loved ones. They've got husbands, wives, kids in refugee camps. They've been there for years with no real hope of getting out and... Uh, there are, there, are, there are 
guys there earning, working two or three jobs in order to raise enough money to try and get their families out of those terrible situations that they're in. Well, that's what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? None of us can pay what we owe to God. None of us has lived the life that God has a right to expect of us. But Jesus has. And he's offered that perfect life of his to God on our behalf to set us free. He's lived the life that we ought to have lived and he's died the death that we deserve to die. Look at verse 25 again. It tell, Paul tells us there that God has presented him as, as a sacrifice of atonement. In the, the, more, more accurately, in the, the King James Version or the ESV Version of the Bible, it says a propitiation. Propitiation talks about, that's a, the concept is of, of satisfying the anger of a holy God. He takes the rap, he, he puts himself under that. The sword falls on him. This is what it says there in verse, verse 25. God presented him, Christ, as a, a sacrifice of atonement, as a, a propitiation through the shedding of his blood. See, when someone, when someone kind of prangs your car, it's very annoying, isn't it? You get very angry about that, don't you? you? Left the car in the car park and you come back, there's a huge dent there. Doesn't that make you angry? When someone does you damage like that, you, you feel justifiably angry, but someone's got to pay for that, haven't they? It's either you, or if the security cameras are working in the car park, you might be able to find the person who did it. Or it has to be the insurance company or something. But someone has to pay. If you're the one who caused the damage, or, or if you're the owner of the car, Somebody's got to pay. If you're the one who caused the damage, it's going to be you or the owner who has, uh, has had this damage done to him can choose to absorb that payment himself, can't he? If he so chooses. He can, he can decide to absorb that himself. He's the injured party. Our sin is against him. And in Jesus, well, the Bible says God was in Jesus, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. In, in Christ, he's come into this world in Christ in order to absorb the cost himself, in order to pay the price himself, the price of our sin and rebellion. I, I'm sure you've heard the story. There's a, uh, I remember going to Djibouti once. Uh, the, well, the first time I ever fl flew on an airplane was to Djibouti in the Horn of Africa. First time that I'd been into what we used to call a third world country. It's a shock when you do that. And there's a story of a, a bunch of uh, tourists being shown around the slum area in Rio de Janeiro. You may have heard this story. And uh, they saw a little girl uh, there sitting uh, in, just covered in dirt, uh, and just sitting there on the ground, and one of, the, one of these tourists said to the tour director, uh, why doesn't her mother do something about that? She's filthy. And the tour director said, well, look, you know, her mother loves her. That little girl's mother loves her little daughter. 
but she doesn't hate dirt. <laughs> She's used to dirt. I mean, coming from where you come from, you hate dirt. <laughs> but you've only just seen this little girl. You don't really love this little girl, do you? Until, until love for that child and hatred for dirt are in the same person, things will stay as they are. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Until love for sinners and hatred of sin are in the same person, things will stay just as they are. But thank God, at the cross, justice and mercy kiss each other. At the cross, God's anger is satisfied on Christ. He is the propitiation for our sin. Justice is satisfied. And at the same time, God shows love for sinners, invites us into his family. See, none of us can pay what we owe God. None of us have lived the life that God has a right to expect of us, but Jesus has. There's one more thing we need to grasp, and, and it, uh, we need to grasp how all of this comes to us. So we are justified freely by grace, not by the law, not by doing our best, but freely by grace. How is that possible? Through the redemption that is in the blood of Jesus. But you know, all of this comes to us, you notice, this is the third thing, by faith. This is not earned. It's a gift from God and it's received by faith. So look at verse 22. This righteousness, this right standing with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Or again in verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the, un and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Again, let me illustrate. When, when I lived in the UK, they, uh, this was back in the, in the 80s before we came out to Hobart, they, they introduced um, uh, what they called experimental roundabouts. They were like little dinner plates in the road. Uh, tiny little roundabouts. And the, the idea was that it was, supposed to, it was supposed to have improved the flow of traffic. I don't think it did that. It probably caused more accidents than anything else. People would just drive straight over them. But uh, uh, for a time, they had these experimental roundabouts. I don't think it had ever happened out here in Australia, but they, they had these little experimental roundabouts in the road. And as you approached a junction, there would be a, a sign. And the sign read something like this, Do not enter unless your exit is clear. That's justification by faith. The moment you enter the Christian life, the moment you trust in Jesus, the moment you turn to him and cry out to him to save you, the moment you enter, that very moment, you know that your exit is clear. You don't have to go through the rest of your life wondering how it's going to turn out. Looking over your shoulder, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. No, the moment you trust in Jesus, that moment, the verdict of the last day on your life is pronounced in the present. Not guilty. It's too good to be true, isn't it? But it is true. I'm exonerated. The moment I trust in Jesus, I'm acquitted, I'm absolved, I'm approved, I'm vindicated, I'm accepted. And this is something that takes place in the courts of heaven. It's not something that takes place here in my heart. It's not something I experience. 
Now, I'm not against experience. I'm a Calvinistic Methodist in background. So I've got the Calvinism of Calvin and the method, the fire of the Methodists, and I believe you need both. So I'm not against people experiencing things. But this isn't an experience. Your justification is not something that registers on the central nervous system so you get tingles and spine, you know, tingles up your spine or anything like that. No, no. It registers in the courts of heaven. So the moment you trust in Jesus, your status is altered. Not guilty. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Imagine two students uh, getting married. All they have, all that I have, I share with you. What do they have? A hex debt? An overdraft? They share the fact that they have nothing. And see, and when I'm married to Christ by faith, when I put my trust in Him and ask Him to be my Lord and Savior, all that I have is His. And all that He has is mine. What do I have? The only thing I've got is the sin that I need to be saved from. But guess what? He takes it all. Past, present, and future sins you haven't even thought of yet. Things you haven't committed yet. He takes it all upon himself. And all that he has, that perfect, beautiful, winsome holiness of his is wrapped around you like a cloak. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you in his Son. He sees you in Christ and you are accepted in the beloved that's justification when you came in here this morning you sat down on a chair they're pretty they're pretty solid-looking chairs <laughs> you've probably done it hundreds of times and look at all the people around you they're sitting quite comfortably I think in their chairs nobody's fallen off a chair this morning that's faith. You, you have faith that those chairs that you're sitting in will actually carry your weight. Can you not, my friends, let me, I'm talking to those of you who are not yet Christians. Can you not trust Jesus, of all people, to bear the weight of your sin and guilt? Can you not put your trust in him to put you right with a holy God? Upon a life I have not lived upon a death I did not die another's life another's death I stake my whole eternity if you've never done that if you've never put your trust in Jesus can I invite you to do that without delay trust him not just to get you through your exams <laughs> trust him not to give you a parking space the traffic's terrible in Hobart isn't it that's the big change we've noticed coming back. Yeah, pray, pray for a parking space by all means. Trust him for a parking space if you want to. Trust him to help you with the, the struggles of relationship problems and, and perhaps work stresses and strains. You can trust him for all of those things. But if you haven't trusted him for your salvation, my friends, all that is, well, what's, what profit is there in all that? Trust him to put you right with God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever realized that you're a sinner who deserves nothing but God's angry punishment against you because of your sin? But God hasn't spared his own son but given him up for you. That in him you may have 
eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is an inveterate temptation in the human spirit to deny that we're sinners. Or we're prepared to admit that we do wrong things, but then doesn't everybody, but we don't go any deeper than that, and we are afraid to face up to sin itself in our own hearts. And yet even when we accept that we are sinful people, deserving of your angry punishment, we are tempted again and again to find ways to justify ourselves and to excuse ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that you'd save us from that. And enable us, Lord, to flee to Christ for our eternal good and for your eternal glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.